On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about the church you read about in the Bible. I think that's a worthy topic, Jacob. Uh, it ought to really be important to us. What was the church like in New Testament times under the guidance of the inspired apostles and prophets? What was the church like? And wouldn't we want the church today to be like that? All right. It's an important discussion, vitally important. And we're going to get started on it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-3-8-1-4-5-6-7, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 18, 19th, 2022. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you, Jacob. Good to be with you. Kyle is behind the controls. Kyle, thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight, and we hope that you'll help the program be better by your comments, either over email, questions at collegeview.com, in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed. And if you're watching us live on the program tonight, give us a call at 931-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Jacob, I'm going to give people a long, long uh, advanced heads up about uh, uh, our community Bible study here in Columbia, Tennessee. We've had to suspend that for the last two years due to the COVID-19 issues, but we're going to get it started again this summer, Lord willing, July 18th and 19th. That's a Monday and a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And we want everybody who's within driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, to mark your calendars and plan to be with us. Donnie Rader is going to be our speaker. Uh, a lot of our Middle Tennessee listeners know Donnie, and he does a great job. And he's going to be talking about... We haven't actually pinned down the exact title, but it's along the lines of parenting in this modern world. You know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the schools and with uh, with all kinds of liberal agenda sort of things that are trying to impact families and parents and children. And we're going to try to address that topic. He agreed without knowing what the topic was? He's He is in charge of finalizing the topic. Oh, okay. I was going to say that's a bold move. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so that's uh, July 20th and 21st? No, 18th and 19th. 18th and 19th. Oh, i got to get that 18th. on my calendar better. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, well, there'll be plenty of times for you to remind us. Yeah. Okay. All right, so tonight we want to talk about the church you can read about in the Bible, which we think is really an important topic. Uh, we sent out uh, some questions to our update list earlier today, and we always remind you, get on our update list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just mm-hmm. say, add me to the list. And these were the questions we asked. Number one, when was the church established? What about the church you attend? Number two, what was the organization of the church in the first century? What about the church you attend? Number three, what were the acts of worship that the church in the Bible practiced? What about the church you attend? Number four, what name was the church called by in the New Testament? What about the church where you attend? And then finally, what plan of salvation was taught by the church you read about in the Bible? And what about the church you attend? I hope people begin to get the idea where we really seriously and sincerely want people to compare what's going on where they attend services, you know, whatever denomination or church or whatever it is that uh, where you attend. We really sincerely want you to compare that to the church that we read about in the Bible. And this isn't meant to be antagonistic. It's meant to be a a moment for self-reflection here. We all need to honestly step back and ask ourselves these questions because these questions are fundamental to the church that we want to be a part of. Either it matters when the church was established or it doesn't. It matters how the church is organized or it doesn't. It matters how the church worships or it doesn't. Are you ready to say it doesn't matter how the church worships? It, we believe it does. The name the church is called matters. And uh, 
how we are saved matters. And so these are very important questions. Again, you're not trying to kick the beehive here. We just need to stop and ask ourselves these questions. Well, when you think about the fact that there are literally, and, and, you know, back, well, I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago, they tried to put a number on how many distinct different religious organizations, so-called Christian religious organizations yeah. there were in North America. They've quit trying now. There, there's just thousands. There's literally thousands of distinct religious organizations. And they, they, they call themselves by different names. They, they practice different forms of worship. They have different organization. They teach different doctrines about salvation. Uh, and so, it really, it, actually, this hopefully this this kind of a study is helpful if people are seeking, you know, out of all those thousands, which one should I be a member of? Well, we want to very simply suggest you need to search for a church that is like the church you read about in the Bible. All right, that's just that's just as simple as it gets. Yeah, that's that's what we're about. So I, I read an interesting analogy here, uh, Jacob, and it got me thinking along this line, actually. So here's an illustration. Suppose someone asks you to identify what is a mammal. Okay. Okay. All right. So you would you would look at you might look at dictionaries or you might look at scientific uh, reference works, and you you get you you get definite if you were looking at a scientific reference work book, you'd get probably a lot more details, but a dictionary will give you some. And so uh, just boil it down real simply. A mammal, it has hair, is warm-blooded, and nurses their young. Now, those are three distinctive characteristics of a mammal. Got it. All right. Now, a dog is a mammal. A dog has hair. A dog is warm-blooded. A dog nurses its young. A cat is a mammal. Mm-hmm. It has hair. It is warm-blooded. It nurses its young. A whale is a mammal. And when I read that, I thought, what? What about the hair thing? Actually, whales have a form of hair. Did you know that? I knew they were mammals. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but they actually do. They, they qualify on that characteristic. They have, they have hair. All right. All right. Now, what about a bird? Well, well, a bird is warm-blooded, but a bird doesn't have hair, and it doesn't nurse its young. Mm-hmm. What about a caterpillar? Well, a caterpillar has hair, but it's not warm-blooded, and it doesn't nurse its young. And so what we're saying is, in order for an, a living thing to be categorized as a mammal, to qualify for that distinction... It has to have all the characteristics that identify mammals. Uh, I got it. Okay, I got you get it. it? Yeah. You can't just have some of the characteristics. You got to have all the characteristics of a mammal in order to be a mammal. You got to be an exact. You got to you got to fit the pattern. I got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I just thought that was a biology. No, lesson. not biology. This actually it's an it's an illustration. Yeah. But you get the point that that we under, if you were in if you were in biology class you would understand that requirement right 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 yeah in fact you'd fail the test on the chapter about mammals okay if you didn't understand that it, a mammal has to have all the identifying characteristics right all right now apply that to churches you know we said just a minute ago that there there are likely thousands really literally thousands of different religious organizations calling themselves christians and i would argue that all of them primarily have some of the characteristics of the New Testament church. Yeah. But, but, but fewer characteristics as this time goes on, fewer and fewer characteristics. Yeah, there's some really wild, far-out uh, yeah. examples, I suppose. But it's not enough to just have some of the characteristics of the New Testament church. Right. you got to have them all. Yeah. And so that that's sort of the premise on which we want to build our study tonight okay. uh, uh, as to the, the church you read about in the Bible. 931-381-4567. All right, so let's start out with the first question. When was the church established? Well, uh, we, we can do a little a simple uh, study of grammar. I suppose you would just call it grammar uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Remember, Jesus had 
had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And and uh, some of them said, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Uh, obviously, by that point in time, yeah. John the Baptist had been killed. And maybe you're John the Baptist resurrected. Maybe you're Elijah of the Old Testament yeah. resurrected. Yep. But Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? He, got, he initially asked, who do men say that I am? He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, obviously that verse, we've had to talk about that verse through the years on the Virtual Bible Study, and the, and the Catholics want to misuse it mm-hmm. to, to argue that Peter was the first pope and that the church was built upon Peter. And, and that's a misuse of the language here. Basically, Jesus' response, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus is saying, You're right, Peter. And just like your identity is Peter, my identity is I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mm-hmm. And upon this rock, upon my identity as the anointed Son of God, I will build my church. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an important passage for sure. But really the reason I'm highlighting it here is notice the, the future tense I will build my church. The church had not been built yet when Jesus said that. Okay? So our point is, in, in, in the lifetime of Jesus, the church had not been built yet. But when we get to Acts chapter 2, and and the gospel message is proclaimed on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, there's a change in verb usage here. In Acts chapter 2... Uh, it's uh, Acts two thirty uh, Acts two thirty seven. When they heard this, that is that they had crucified the very Son of God. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. Said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promises unto you, to your children, all who are far off, even as many as our Lord, as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. When you skip down to verse 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Oh, there's a change. There's a change. Now the church is in existence, and the Lord is adding to the church regularly those who are being saved. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, we believe that the, the church and the kingdom are the same thing. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, he hath delivered us from, uh, from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's important to note, yeah. that the kingdom and the church are used interchangeably there. Yeah. And back in Matthew chapter 16, uh, in verse uh, verse 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So verse 18, he calls it the church in verse 19, he calls it the kingdom. And verse 28, he said that, Verily I say to you, there will be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So you're talking about the church. He said he'll build the church. He uses that interchangeably with kingdom. In Acts chapter 2, they're added to the church. That's the kingdom. And you reference there in 1 Corinthians how God, Christ, or God was adding to or translating them into the kingdom. Yeah. And that goes along with Old Testament prophecies. Daniel chapter 2 said it would have to happen in the Roman in days of the Roman Empire. It happened in the first century. Yeah. You can't get around that. Christ doesn't have to come back to establish his kingdom. He did it on the, in the first century. Now, now, here's the point. What about the church that you read about? Well, we could go. I mean, all kinds of references could be accumulated as to when various, even of the mainline denominations began you know uh, for instance the methodist church might say that they, that they they began sometime in the 1600s uh you know they were they were uh, motivated by the the actions of martin luther and uh, and they were protesting the abuses of the catholic church and so they would proudly announce that the methodist church was started in 1650 or whatever they say i, I didn't look it up i should have looked it up today but they did uh well, that's a long time ago. That's 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 over 400 years ago. That's going on 500 years ago. But that's about 1,600 years too late. Yeah, there's a simple answer to the question. If your denomination identifies itself as a Protestant denomination, 
it started within the last 500 years. Because that's when the Protestant movement started. Uh, Reformation yeah. took place. So you could put the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Baptists. You could put them all in that category. They didn't start in the first century. They're a relatively new invention. History tells us this. Yeah. And, and they don't deny it. Right. And I think that's what's really interesting. These denominations would not deny that their, their starting point is at such and such a date. I'll tell you, if it's not, if the starting point of the church that you're attending is not day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, then it's too late. Mm-hmm. If it was if it was a hundred years after that, it'd be too late. The Catholic Church, the Catholic, the first pope, uh, pope of the Catholic Church, uh, was officially recognized in I think 606 A.D. Yeah. Well, that's a long time ago, but it, it's almost 600 years too late. Yeah. Even the Catholic Church. Yeah. So it, if if the if the church that you're attending identifies itself as having a starting point later than the first century, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, then it's not the church you read about in the Bible. Uh, now, we we are trying to argue that the church we attend is following that pattern. We're not dating ourselves to 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 600 years ago. We're not dating ourselves, for instance, because this has been a point of some contention on the virtual Bible study the last couple of weeks. We're not dating ourselves to the restoration movement in America or in Europe. There was a restoration movement taking place in Europe, probably predated the, the restoration oh, movement in, in America. Absolutely. But that was, oh, 150 to 200 years ago. That's not nearly long ago. We, and, and, we don't, we, and we don't claim that we go back to those men. We claim that we go back to the church that you read about in the New Testament, and if it's not that, it's not good enough. Absolutely. Um, And just because some folks decided we need to go back to the New Testament doesn't mean that they created a denomination or created the church. They just encouraged us to get back to that pattern that was in place, we believe, since the first century. It is not a logical argument to say that we started in the 1800s when the plea is to be just like the Bible. Now, if it says, hey, we're going to start a church, and here's the rules, and here's how how we're going to organize it, here's how we're going to worship it, and here's going to be our creed book, then, yeah, it started then. But if we're saying, no, just be like the church in the New Testament, then it started in the New Testament. Yeah, exactly right. All right. We're, we're past time for a break, Jay, but let's grab that break, and when we get back, we've got a couple of emails to add into this discussion. All right, 931-381-4567 is the number to call. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't touch that Run mouse. Over there and get the Dwight. virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, verse 14. The Hebrews writer reminds you to strive for peace. Here's the challenge with everyone. And for holiness, the condition of being holy or set apart from the rest of the world in this way. In so doing, there is great blessing. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Day by day, what you choose, what you think, and what you do is who you become. Think only on those things that are in line with your principles and can bear the light of day. In seeking wisdom, thou art wise. In imagining that thou hast attained it, thou art a fool. Be wary of the man who urges an action in which he himself incurs no risk. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about the church to read about in the Bible and the fact that we need to be like that church and the characteristics of it. Yeah, let's, let's look at some emails, Jacob. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, responded tonight. He said, the New Testament church was established as a result of Old Testament prophecy and the promise of Christ, Daniel 2 44, Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, Matthew 16, 18. The church was established by Christ in AD 30, according to Acts 2, in the city of Jerusalem. The local church with, with which I identify seeks to follow the identifying characteristics of and components of the nature of the first century church. 
It is opposed to denominationalism. It is composed of Christians, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. The congregation with which I identify is not a denomination nor part of a group affiliated with any denomination. We are an independent New Testament church comprised simply of Christians. I think that's interesting. We're going to get our last point, or next to last point, uh, is about the name that was used. But hang on to what Kent's saying there. We just identify as Christians. We don't put any other qualifier on that, just Christians. That's what they were in the first century. They were they were members of that church that you read about in the Bible. They were just Christians. They weren't anything else. So we'll hang on to that. We'll talk a little bit more about okay. that when we get to the name. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says uh, the church was established in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. There were about 3,000 saved on this day, and the Lord added those who were saved to the church. The Lord founded his church. According to history, the first Baptist church was founded back in 1612 in England. Methodist Church was formed in the 18th century. Jehovah's Witnesses were formed in 1872. All of these churches were founded by men, not by Jesus Christ. And so, Dwight done a little history, uh, and I, I'm not sure about uh, I'm not sure about that Methodist number, Dwight. That might be a lo- they they might argue they were earlier than the 18th century. I'm not sure, uh, but but the point is still established as you're saying here. All of those churches and every other one is way too late if it doesn't date back to the first century in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. All right. All right. So uh, there's a nest. Now, now, back to our illustration about a mammal, Jacob. Uh, you know, a bird is a warm-blooded animal, but he, a bird's not a, a mammal. Even though it has one characteristic, it misses on other characteristics required in order to be identified as a mammal. So what about the church that you attend when did it start? And if if they if the answer to that question is wrong, then that's not the church you read about in the Bible. It's just as simple. Yeah, and and I like the way that uh, Kent said is that they ju- they're just a group of Christians trying to do exactly what they did in the New Testament. Kent's the church that Kent's a part of is not associated with any other church in the world. It's not associated with any kind of headquarters or any kind of denominational structure or hierarchy. It's just a group of Christians trying to do what they did in the New Testament. Now, would we say, well, Kent, you're a part of a of a, a denomination that started in 1977 or whenever that church formed, or or you, you you're part of a, a recent? No, they're just doing so. It. So you use this use the illustration here at College U. This local congregation had its beginnings in 1978 okay so would you say this church began so i'm a member of a church that began in 1978 no because that's just when this local congregation was formed but this local congregation from its inception has been trying to be like the church you read about in the new testament do just what they did and so we wouldn't track our beginnings to 1978 we track our beginnings to the first century yeah yeah. All right, let's 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 talk about that organization question, Jacob. That was the second question. What was the organization of the church in the first century? Well, uh, in Colossians chapter one, verse eighteen, it says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is the head, but the church in the New Testament had no other head. There was no earthly head. Uh, uh, there wasn't there wasn't some person who some human being living on earth when the church began who claimed to be the head over the, the worldwide church that just that just simply wasn't so in the new testament there were local congregations uh those local congress congregations were overseen by elders uh who are also called shepherds or pastors or bishops Acts 20, verse 17, 1 Timothy 3, uh, Titus chapter 1, describe the qualifications of those elders. Uh, And and so they were overseers of local congregations, but their oversight was limited to the local congregations where they were. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter says... 1 Peter 5, verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Notice, to the elders, he said, feed the flock of God which is among you. And in that statement, 
the elders of local congregations were limited in the realm of their work. Their oversight was of that local church of which they themselves were members. It didn't extend beyond that. Mm-hmm. And, there, and you can't read of any organization of the, of the churches in the first century beyond the organization of the churches on a local level. They were independent. They were autonomous. They were self-governing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addresses the, the, the Philippian epistle, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So there were saints or Christians at Philippi. There were bishops or elders and deacons at Philippi. And that's it. That's all there was. There was no organization in the first century beyond that. You can read your New Testament from cover to cover, and I hope you do, and you will not discover any hierarchy of organization beyond the simple organization of local congregations. And they were independent of all others. They didn't report to anybody else. They didn't take instructions from anybody else. They were governed by the the authority of God's word, and they were overseen by local elders. There was no higher organization. All right. 931-381-4567. Jump in the uh, phone on the phone tonight and let us know your thoughts. Kent says during the first century, the New Testament church existed in only two ways, universal and local. The church in its universal extension was comprised of those who had obeyed the gospel of Christ. One became a member after they believed the gospel, repented of sin, confessed Christ, and were baptized into the fellowship of of this saved blood-bought body. They were added by the Lord to this extension. During the first century, the only organization that the New Testament church had was local, autonomous, and independent. These local, independent assemblies had no organizational identity with any other group of Christians. They were independent, collective, functioning units. The congregation with which I identify is an independent New Testament church. So Kent's right on the mark there. Uh, If you can find an explanation or a description of churches being organized at a level higher than the local congregation. We'd be, we'd be loving to hear about that. But think about that, Jacob. Almost all religious organizations are organized at higher levels. They have a higher, we, we sometimes refer to it as a, a hierarchy of organization. So there might be a church here in Columbia, Tennessee, but they report to the statewide headquarters at Nashville. And the statewide headquarters, the Tennessee statewide headquarters at Nashville reports to the governing body of North America in New York City. Uh, and, and, the, and the officials at New York City report to the worldwide headquarters uh, in London, England, say. Oh, there's nothing like that in the New Testament. There's just nothing like that in the New right. Testament. Right. Can we also talk about the single pastor Arrangement where yeah. the the man who is the preacher is con- referred to as the pastor, and he is the one who is over the yeah. church. Who yeah, a lot of the a lot of these even even at the local level, Jacob. I think you're making a really worthy point here. Even at the local level, a lot of religious organizations don't follow the pattern of having a plurality of qualified elders to oversee the local church. They have a single. They call him the pastor. Maybe there's a board of deacons under him, and and he sort of directs affairs to the board of deacons who then administer it. But a single pastor, again, is is an organizational structure that you can't read about in the New Testament. Yeah. Show us the verse. and, And so, again, what about the church that you're a member of? How is it organized? You think this is not important? Why? Well, if it's not important, then what is important? I yeah, mean, yeah. You just make it up. Can we just make it up? Yeah. If it's not, if it's not exactly what we read about in the New Testament, then you are arguing for the freedom to just make it up however we want. Yeah. If it, unless it's by the pattern, then I can do anything that I want. I can set my dog as head of the church. If I'm not going to do everything like well, now that's really crazy, Jacob. That's really crazy. It's it may it is crazy because okay. but because if you don't stick to the pattern, then you have opened the door for anything. Exactly, that's exactly right. Uh, uh, and 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 we, again, we're not trying to. I think you used the expression earlier. We're not trying to kick the beehive. We're not trying to make people mad here. We're trying to get people to think. 
about really important things concerning the church you attend. Mm -hmm. And if your church is not organized in the fashion of the New Testament church, why not? Mm -hmm. And by what authority and who who gave them the right to organize in a different way than what we read about in the New Testament? Yeah. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says the organization of the church was made up of elders, deacons, preachers, members in the first century. And there were apostles, of course, but no longer do we have apostles or prophets today. The church today is made up of saved individuals called Christians. These Christians collectively are the church. Each individual church is autonomous, that is, self-governing. Christ is the head of the body that is the church, for, uh, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And so I think Kent, uh, Kent maybe explained that thoroughly when he said there's two senses in which the word church is used in the New Testament. One is of the church universal, comprised of all saved people, and Jesus is the head of that. Yeah. But then on uh, in, in, in a functioning organism, the church is organized at the level of local congregations, and, and there is nothing else. All right. We need to get a break, and when we get back, we'll get uh, on to the next question. Which is, what about the acts of worship okay. that the church describes? All right. It is important how we worship as well. A lot of folks worship in any way they please, but how does the New Testament say we should worship? We'll get to that after this week's bullet point. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Attendance at worship services and Bible studies has always been a problem. Faithful brethren have constantly agonized over those who don't attend. It's been that way in every generation, including among the very first Christian. The Hebrew writer was compelled to pen these famous words in Hebrews 10, beginning verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Notice the reasons why you should attend every scheduled service. First, it's a command. The New American Standard Version says not forsaking our own assembling together. This ought to be reason enough, but the Lord has provided plenty of additional motivation. Notice, secondly, that you are the one who needs this. If you've been thinking that worship is something that God needs, forget it. Worship is for us, not Him. The passage says that the assembly allows opportunity to be exhorting or encouraging one another. You need this, and you miss out on it when you're not here. Finally, others need you. As a member of the Lord's body, you are in a give-and-take situation. Too many apparently feel that it's all take, and they never give. But we are commanded to, quote, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's the New American Standard Version. The worship services provide an excellent opportunity for doing that very thing. You can't encourage your brothers and sisters when you're not here. And brethren are seriously discouraged by low attendance. Those who neglect the assemblies dishonor God, miss out on a great spiritual blessing, and violate the rule of brotherly love and concern. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program tonight, uh, talking about the church you read about in the Bible. Kyle, let's switch this up a little bit tonight. I'm getting tired of this. You, why don't you tell them who the program's brought to them? But I can tell them about the YouTube. I got this down. <laughs> which, uh, what's it's my our program here? Which, yeah. yeah. The College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, which, yeah. Uh, which How is, would I know? Obviously. How could I find out anything yeah, about go, that? Go well, there we have a we have a nice actual a brand ball. new website. Yeah, it's a brand new website. It's a new and improved. Yeah, it's a virtual the virtual or collegeview.com actually takes it to the same website. So a lot of resources on there. Our YouTube websites, all kinds of things. So yeah. And yeah. we got two YouTube channels. One for this, well, the virtual Bible study. The other, called College View Livestream, <laughs> has our Bible classes and, and sermons on it. All right. And so there's there's a ton of resource there, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. But you can, if you're, I hope you're studying your Bible, so you can add that to it. Just uh, we have some audio lessons and yeah, some YouTube uh, resources, all kinds of stuff on there. You should ha- not have any gaps in your bible studies uh and and also for bible study there's a there's a a online version of our daily bible reading calendar you know sometimes i'm away from my printed i i've got a printed uh calendar that i try to keep marked off but if i'm away from that i can get online and see what today's reading that's why there's sharpie marks on your phone you've been marking it off on your phone it doesn't carry through it doesn't doesn't go through uh but that's a good resource. You know, the guy who redesigned our website, he he was excited to participate in it because he said it's such a valuable resource. There's so much there. Wow. That's uh, that's great. All right. So well, sort of like a one-stop shop, it sounds like to me, Kyle. 
Well, yeah, that's it. That's and it. I guess that's all I should, you need to know. Yeah, you can bookmark it. How about that? You still bookmark stuff? I don't care. Yeah. All right. Let's go. The church we're read about in the Bible. Yeah, we're going to run move. out of time real let's quick. Move. Uh, what about the kind of worship that we read about in the Bible? When we're talking about the church that you read about in your Bible. How did they worship? Mm-hmm. One, dis- one, you, a very important distinguishing characteristic of that church was that they observed the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Okay. We read about the church assembling in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, uh, to break bread or observe the Lord's Supper. It doesn't, our, our argument from that is by implication, it, does, it doesn't say that it was a, a unique first day of the week. It doesn't say it was a unique Sunday. It just says it was Sunday, and they came together for this purpose. And so we argue that you would infer from that that this was something they did every week. If you took a new job, Jacob, and they said payday is Friday, what would you assume? I would assume it was one day a year, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Or two or three days a year. You would assume that every time Friday rolls around, you get a paycheck. Yeah. Right? And so... uh, that's that's our simple reasoning from Acts 20 verse 7 in in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 uh it says now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given order to the churches of Galatia even so do ye upon the first day of the week let every one of you lay by him stores God has prospered him let there, that there be no gatherings when I come now we're going to talk about making a contribution here in a minute but you know it's kind of interesting this is this collection was to be done on the first day of the week i don't see churches arguing about whether that should be done every sunday or not they read that and they say well it's to be done on the first day of the week that means every sunday we take up a collection and and all churches do that i mean they're not in fact they do it more than on sunday but they're not going to let a sunday pass by and not take up a collection well if you reason from first corinthians 16 2 that the collection should be every sunday then you have to use the same logic to conclude that the lord's supper should be every sunday and it's not that it's not a far out idea because we go back to the old testament acts chapter 20 verse 7 says they met on the first day of the week to break bread acts or exodus chapter 20 verse 8 of the 10 commandments says remember the sabbath day to keep it holy there was no there was no designation as to which it sabbath did, it day didn't it was. It did say remember the first sabbath day every month. But you listen look what the Jews did. They knew what he was talking about. When it says remember the sabbath day, they they every understood that mean every time the sabbath, sabbath day rolls around. Day. Every sabbath day. Yeah. And that's the same approach we need to take to Acts 20 verse 7. Yeah, exactly right. Uh so if the church that you attend does not observe the Lord's supper every Sunday, then that's not like the church you read about in the Bible. Think about that. It's really serious. Now, either it matters or it doesn't. Yeah. Does it matter? No. Uh, real quickly, we know that the church engaged in prayers. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray to God the Father. He gave the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 5. Here's something, even this. Some religious organizations address prayers to people other than God. Uh, maybe to Mary, address prayers to Mary, or address prayers. Prayers to departed saints. Yep. Well, there's no authority for that. Where do I read about that? Oh, you don't read about that in the Bible. Never. Uh, we, we know that uh, when the church came together, part of their assembling together involved teaching and preaching the word. Again, we would go to Acts 20, verse 7. Paul did that when that church came together. He taught them or preached the word. We know that the early church sang they sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, verse 19, Colossians 3, verse 16. There was no instrumental music accompaniment. Now, we've talked about instrumental music on the virtual Bible study a lot because almost all religious organizations, not all, but almost all religious organizations use instrumental music. But here's the point. You don't read about it in the New Testament. The church you read about in the Bible did not use them. And what's interesting is Church historians agree unanimously that the church in the first century did not use instruments of music. And so if the church that you worship with does use instruments of music, then it's not the church you read about in the Bible. Now, there are arguments being made, and members of the Church of Christ are making the arguments, well, God didn't condemn instruments, and so we can't condemn them either. You know what else God didn't condemn? Praying to Mary. 
That's right. Now, if it's not right to pray to Mary, then it is not right to use instruments. They stand or fall together. Exactly. When God gives us a pattern and tells us what to do, you got to do that. You can't improvise and make up your own rules. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the idea is that, and I, and I, a lot of people are saying, well, the silence of the scripture doesn't prove anything. It does. You know, in fact, in logical terms, when the Bible, when when you know, if if I order something online. I don't have to tell them, don't send me this and this and this. When I tell them what I want them to send me on my Internet order, it's understood. Since I didn't mention other things, I don't want those other things. And that's the same logic we're using about music and worship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then giving. We know that they, we already read First Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we, we know that the church in the first century, the church you read about in your Bible, they, they were completely, totally financed. By the first day of the week, free will offering of the saints. Now, if the church you attend gets money from other mechanisms or, or modes, if, for instance, the church you worship with gains resources by some kind of business enterprise, then that's not authorized. That's not what the church in the New Testament did. So, again, even on the, even on the finances, how the church comes by its finances may may eliminate some churches because they're not relying exclusively on the free will offering of the saints on the first day of the week. All right. All right. Uh, we got e- we got emails. Question from Brian in California. Of all the spiritual gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, is it conceivable that prophecy could have been present in the first century worship as preaching? Well, yeah, prophecy is a foretelling. A, a, a prophecy is a proclaiming of a message. And certainly when, when there were inspired prophets uh, in the first century church, uh, I, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, Paul even tells how to regulate how to, that. Yep. So yep. they did. Yeah, I think definitely so, Brian. But prophets do not exist today. Zechariah 13 and First Corinthians 13 would tell us that those prophecies have ended. So not uh, valid in worship today. Yeah. All right. You got an email there on the on the acts of worship. Kent says the New Testament specifies that the worship of first century Christians were limited to the preaching of apostolic doctrine, first day of the week, free will contributions, the first day of the week, observance of the Lord's Supper, prayers, Acts 2, 42, 20, verse 7, and congregational singing without the use of mechanical instruments of music, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Ephesians 5, 19. The congregation with which I identify limit our acts of worship as to those actions authorized by the New Testament and practice during the first century. Okay. Dwight in Iowa says the acts of worship were then and now singing, praying, teaching, giving, and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Each of these acts were done in accordance to the instructions given by the apostles through the Holy Spirit. Today we have the revealed word of God to guide us. We are to worship him in spirit and in truth. Also, whatsoever we do, we must do in the name of Christ, meaning we must have authority for doing it. Singing was vocal. Praying was through Jesus. Teaching was done by the word, not by human opinion. Giving was on the first day of each week from the heart. And the Lord's Supper was done while gathered together on the first day of the week to remember the death of Jesus. I think you're exactly right, Dwight. Let's take a break. We'll get back. We'll wrap it up. And uh, we'll leave the phone line open for you, 931-3814. We want to talk about name and plan of salvation. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 29% of Americans ages 18 through 25 are counted as having some type of mental disorder. Overall, 54% of those surveyed acknowledge some degree of emotional fragility or even mental illness. 75% say they lack meaning and purpose in life. Only one-third claim to believe in God. 39% identify as LGBTQ. That information is via the Christian Post. 
The word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 21, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, talking about the church you read about in the Bible. All right, so again, we're, we're asking people sincerely and honestly, we're asking people to compare the church you read about in the Bible to the church where you attend. And in order for the church that you attend to be like the church you read about in the New Testament, then it can't just have some of the identifying characteristics. It has to have them all. Uh, and so we talked about when the church was established, how it was organized, what were the acts of worship. We want, well, here's a really simple thing. What was the name, the, the, what, by what name was the church called in the New Testament? Some people say, oh, well, you know, some people think like we're straining at a gnat when we talk about the name. And to those people, the, the, I think the honest question is, well, how would you like it if your wife called herself by another man's name? You know, she's your bride, but she doesn't take your name. She follows the name of somebody. She uses somebody else's name. You wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't stand for that. Well, why would we want to call the bride of Christ by a different name than what we read about in the New Testament? Now, I think it's important for us to note that there's more than one identifying name, if you will, of the church that you read about in the Bible. For instance, we know it's called the Church of Christ, referring to several congregations. Uh, the Apostle Paul used the identifier Churches of Christ in Romans 16, verse 16. By the way, in the chat room last week, Jacob, somebody said, you can't read about the Church of Christ in the New Testament. Uh, I think you can. Uh, Romans 16, 16 definitely calls the church, the churches of Christ, talking about a number of local congregations. So churches were known as the Church of Christ. Uh, they were known as the uh, the Church of God in First Corinthians chapter one verse two. Uh, so you could you could call you could call it the Church of Christ. You could call it the Church of God. Actually, those aren't really even names. Those are descriptives. Church of Christ means the church that belongs to Christ. Church of God means the church that belongs to God. And so they're not so much names as they are descriptions of what the church is. But if your church is going by a name like Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church. Those are not names I read in the New Testament. If you're going by Baptist Church, I don't read about the Baptist Church in the New Testament. Yeah. So, I mean. And, and, the, and the name Church of Christ is a descriptive. It's not a, uh, it's not a denominational title. It's a descriptive. Just like Church of God, Church of the Firstborn. Um, these are descriptive names given to the church whereby, whereby the church was identified in the new testament yeah. and we need to use one of those identifiers yeah, yeah. And, and and again we use the name church of christ is certainly a scriptural designation you could you could call it the church of god it'd be some confusion because there's a denominational organization there's several different denominational organizations that use the name church of god and they don't teach the, the pure doctrine of the new testament so there might be some confusion about that, and that'd have to be worked through. You could call it the Church of the Firstborn. That's just, you know, again, Jesus is the firstborn one. Uh, and and uh, so, I mean, use, but call the church what it is. Don't call it what it is not. It's not the Baptist church. The Baptist church is not in the New Testament. No, and now, now baptism is a scriptural topic, scriptural term. But the church isn't identified by that term, nor is it identified as the Christian church in the New Testament. Yeah. We have Christians, and the church is made up of Christians, but it's not identified as the Christian church. And so we don't want to identify it that way today. We need to identify it the way it was identified in the New Testament. Exactly. So call it what it is. Don't call it what it's not. Uh, again, names are important. And, and I, I would just argue to anybody who says that that's straining at a gnat to, to explain to me why would you want to call it something else? Uh, 
than, than the descriptives that we read about in the New Testament. Let's and if it's this. not important, and if we don't have to call it by something that's in the New Testament, can we call it the Church of Satan? Why not? Where's your? How are you going to say, no, you can't call it the Church of Satan? What's your going to be your argument? How are you going to be consistent in that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kent says the first century New Testament church had various designations as recorded in the scriptures, noting their relationship with God the Father and Christ the Son. They did not wear man-made names. The local church with which I'm identified refers to itself as the Northside Church of Christ, not as a denominational name, but rather as to our location in the city of Calhoun, Georgia, and as a demonstration of our relationship to Christ. Right. All right. Free shout out to the Northside Church there, I there guess. Go. But I mean, it's straightforward. It it's straightforward. It's like right? those NASCAR drivers. He's yeah. working it in. I like that. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says the name, the name of Christ Church was simply the Church of Christ, Romans 16, 16. Also named the Church of the Firstborn, Hebrews 12, 23, Church of God, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. We go by the Church of Christ simply because we are the church he died for and the church belongs to him because he purchased it with his blood. Jesus told Peter in Matthew sixteen eighteen that he would build his church. None of the other denominations in the world today are the Lord's church. They were man-made, not purchased with Christ's blood. Okay, okay I think you're right. Dwight. All right. Number five. A All few right. minutes so, to go here. So finally, so I, I just want to reiterate our, our premise for our study tonight, Jacob. We read about a church in the Bible, and it has characteristics. It has, it has distinctive characteristics. If the church that you attend is going to be like the church you're reading about in your Bible, it's got to have all these characteristics. It can't just have some of them. I would argue that the the vast majority of, of so-called Christian religious organizations in the world today have some of the characteristics that we have talked about tonight. But having some is not enough. you got to have them all. All right, so here, here's question five. What plan of salvation was taught by the church you read about in the Bible? Well, we know that Jesus said, so So, what we do here, this is a very simple exercise. What we do here is we take all of the instructions of the New Testament that relate to what one must do to be saved, and we and we put them all together to, to, to get a concise, easy-to-understand plan of salvation. For instance, in John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So Jesus said faith in him was a critical, essential. And again, if if the church you attend is a so-called Christian denomination, they're not going to argue with that. And so they're, okay, good. You're on the right track there. If you If you require that people believe in Jesus at the church that you attend, then you're doing the right thing. But, you know, not all churches do that. You remember several years ago, Jacob, when we interviewed that woman who was the preacher for the Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville? And we actually asked her, do you have to believe in Jesus? No, she said. We asked, do you have to believe in God? No, she said no. Uh, so, you know, again, would that be okay if, if these things don't matter? Would it be okay? Would, would that woman preacher of the Univer, uh, Unitarian Universalist Church who said you don't have to believe in Jesus or God to be a member of this church, would that be okay at the church where you attend? Well, if if, if you say, yeah, no, I couldn't go that, then what about these other things we're going to talk about in a minute? Unless you draw the line where the scriptures draw the line, you can't draw a line. And you've got to be a univer- Unitarian Universalist if you're going to be consistent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You remember last two or three weeks ago, Tanner Adams said you can deny Christ as the Son of God and still go to heaven. Yeah. Now, you may confess him at one time, but then you can deny him later on in life. You'll still go to heaven. Yeah. Is, that, is that what the scriptures Is that teach? true of the church that you attend? Yeah. Uh, we know that the... the, the People in the first century were taught that they had to repent uh, or turn away from their sins. They couldn't continue in their sins uh, and be uh, considered a saved person. Acts 2.38, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And so repentance was taught. Now, that would mean that the church in the first century taught that you had to turn away from the sinful things that you that you've been doing in order to be a saved person uh in second corinthians chapter nine no excuse me uh what am i thinking about here jacob uh 
What verse are you looking for? Oh, where Paul's t- talking to the Corinthians said, such were some of you. First no, Corinthians 6. Is that it? I was thinking 9. I'm, I should know that by heart. Yeah, First Corinthians 6, verse 9. I, was, I knew there was a 9 in there. So First Corinthians 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, here's something interesting, Jacob. In that list of things that the Corinthians had formerly practiced, it talks about homosexuality. But he, but they were told they had to repent of that. They they previously had done those things, but they had ceased doing those things. How many religious organizations are now saying that you can practice homosexuality and be a saved person? They're not teaching New Testament repentance. Yeah. If the church you're a member of endorses and allows the practice of homosexuality and same-sex marriage, that's not the church you read about in the Bible. Well, let's, let's, let's open this up a little farther. How about fornication and adultery? Even so, unscriptural marriages. Unscriptural marriage. If your church is not following the teachings of Christ on marriage and divorce and remarriage, are you going to say, well, that's okay? It doesn't matter? That's not, that's, that's not the church you read about in the Bible. And you can't straddle the fence on this issue. You can't yeah. say, well, I don't know. Either it matters or it doesn't. You need to get on one side of the fence. Yeah. And you can't just say, well, that's the church. No, you're a part of it. Get on one side of the fence. Either it matters or it doesn't. Real quickly, we're just all but out of time, Jacob. We know that the church in the, that we read about in the Bible taught baptism for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 20, uh, 2, verse 38 in acts 22 verse 16 saul of tarsus was told arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the lord baptism for the remission of sins baptism to wash away sins and baptism was immersion a burial in water acts 6 verses 3 and 4 colossians 2 verse 12 it wasn't sprinkling they didn't baptize babies either Uh, they baptized uh accountable knowledgeable people who could confess with their mouth their faith in Lord Jesus, Romans 10, verse 10. And those who are practicing sprinkling today will admit in the New Testament that it was immersion. But yet they say it doesn't matter. We don't have to do it that way today. We can sprinkle today. Yeah. Either it matters or it doesn't. And if it doesn't matter how they baptize, then it doesn't matter if they baptize. And it doesn't matter if you... Who they baptize. Who they baptize. I mean, you open the door... And you say, well, we're not going to follow the pattern in this area. Then you've opened the door for literally anything and everything if you're going to be consistent. Let's get our emails real quick, Jacob. We're almost out of time. Kent said the plan of salvation was taught in the New Testament and practiced by the first century church. It was faith in Christ, repentance of all personal sins, confession of the deity of Christ, and baptism for or unto the remission of sins, the case being the church which I identify seeks to identify with the New Testament of Christ. We teach, practice, and obey the same plan of salvation as found in the New Testament. This is the only plan that we find in the scriptures. All right. Dwight in Iowa says the plan of salvation in the Bible is simply Jesus. We must listen to him, be obedient to him and his word. Hear the word, believe the word, confess Jesus to be the son of God, repent of my sins, have them washed away in baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Once I do that, I must live... Uh, my life faithfully to the Lord all the days of my life. This is all Jesus wants of us. If you love me, he said, you will keep my commandments, John 14, verse 15. If you, if you are my friends, uh, you are my friends, rather, if you do what I command, John 15, verse 14. Philip taught the eunuch in Acts 8 about Jesus. The outcome of that teaching was his obedience to the words that Philip taught. He was baptized and went on his way rejoicing. Okay. All right. Well, I think it's time for us to go on our way tonight and, uh, but I, I hope this was, you know this is really a simple fundamental study, but I think so critically important because we've got a lot of people, a lot of good sincere people. I think mean, genuinely, you know, wanting to do the right thing, but they haven't taken the time to carefully think through this matter of the church where you attend. Is the church where you attend following the church that you read about in the Bible? Is it imitating that church you read about in the Bible? And remember. Just in some points is not enough. It's got to be in all points. It's got to be in all. It's an all or nothing proposition. Because if I say, well, we'll do one thing that I can't read about in the Scriptures. We'll use a name that I don't read about in the Scriptures. If I do one thing that I can't find authority for here, I have to allow everything. That's right. 
And you get to, if you get to make your exception, I get to make mine, and so does everybody else, and there's no stopping. Well, now you know why there's so many different churches exactly. in the world today, because that's what we've done. Yeah. And we have not demanded and insisted we have Bible authority. Exactly right. All right. Kyle, Scott, thoughts from you? It's, it's a good study. I think we need to make sure that we're worshiping the way God wants us to. And why are we going to these church services? Where are we going to church at? And why are we going there? Are we going to learn about the Bible, live the way God wants us to? Or are we doing it because, you know, it's a social club? We need to make sure that we're doing yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. You know, we're yeah. doing what God wants us to because we want to go to heaven. Are we getting so, entertainment out of this? We, just, we, like the, we like the music. We like the light yes. show, whatever it may be. Yeah. All right. Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. It was good. Dad, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jake. Enjoyed the discussion tonight. Hope you benefited from our study discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.